Well, open your Bibles to Genesis 31. Uh, this is a sermon I was going to preach last week. And uh, since uh, we had all the uh, controversial uh, problems with the weather and uh, getting our word out. And again, uh, I want to add my apology to uh, Pastor Andy's that uh, we kind of flubbed get, letting everybody know. And so this week uh, we spent some time uh, rethinking all that and getting it straight. And so you heard that uh, we're, we've come up with some new plans and, and uh, that's going to be excellent for us. Uh, but last week, so I, I pulled a little bit out of this chapter last week and uh, kind of uh, at the last minute, we, we just only talked about Rachel and her stealing uh, her dad's gods. And uh, so I want to open this morning with uh, maybe not an apology, but a, 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 a lesson because you can always learn from everything, right? Yeah, I expect you to say something when I stop like that, okay? So yeah, we can always learn. And last week, standing right here, you know, I am the expert, right? I could not, I said, I don't know why Rachel, uh, yeah, Rachel was sitting on a camel with her dad in the tent. I'm 62, been reading the Bible since I was a little kid. Never even occurred to me. Somebody online, Debbie, um, Send it in, but I don't have it in front of me up here with you guys watching Facebook or whatever. And my wife later went, why wouldn't you think of that? I'm like, I don't know. Just never. They took the saddle off the camel. It was in the tent. <laughs> and she's sitting on the saddle. All of you got that but me. So what I want you to learn from that is you never know it all, right? We always have more to learn out of God's word. And it was like, oh man, are you kidding me? That's so simple. 62 years been wondering about that. And it was so easy. It took the I mean, I saw Westerns. They always take the saddle off and right, sleep on it at night. So that's all it was. So that was just a bit of fun. But also I like to correct my mistakes when I make them that I know about. Uh, so that was, that was great. And I do thank uh, Debbie for sending in. She corrected you at the, while you were up there. I was like, yeah, but I can't see that. But anyway, so uh, I do appreciate it. I, I, I love that we can, we can just spend time with the Lord. I, I was coming in this morning. I was thinking about, I mean, for me, just getting dressed as a chore because like, you know, I'm like most men. I just read, I don't know what to put together and I do my best. And I'm not going to blame any bad outfits on my wife because sometimes she goes, no, that's not great, but you ain't got time to go. Uh, you know, that kind of deal. But, you know, and, and, and we come to church and we come, you know, just what are you anticipating when you get here? Like, does it matter what I'm wearing? No, absolutely not. I think about the first church. They quit doing their daily labors and got together. They, it wasn't, we, we have sort of a formality. And coming in this morning, I said, I just want to enjoy God's presence. You know, and I think Pastor Andy really helped us with that. That last song, man, that always gets me because it's so powerful, but yet it's so about where we are. We are waiting on his return. And in the meantime, we do what he called us to do, right? And, uh, and I just, I enjoyed that so much. And we spent the month of January, I know, I'm coming to Genesis, hang in there. Uh, we spent the month of January with a challenge. And, and I just want to remind you that uh, we challenged 
each other to fast for 40 days this year at some point. You can do it a day a week or however you want to do it. Um, and many people have been talking about that and talking, uh, saying different things, asking questions and uh, some maybe doing it. We're not like reporting to each other, but just the conversation is going on. So I hope most of you are, uh, or I want all of us to think about that and to do it at some point this year to, to spend some time in fasting. Uh, we, we talked about uh, our, our families. We talked about our faith. We talked about prayer. We talked about our faith as a church. Uh, we talked about all those things. And we need to remind ourselves all year about those things. God is moving. We are, we're hearing reports of amazing things around the world. And I think God's up to something. Uh, whenever things get bad, God is always up to something. Uh, don't ever forget that. Most people get discouraged and depressed when things get bad. We ought to just start getting excited because that means God is about to do something. And, uh, you know, his return is not going to be when the sun's shining and everybody's happy. We're going to be crying out, how long, O oh Lord, how long? When are you coming? Uh, because it's going to be a, a, a tough time uh, during those days. So I pray that you're getting ready. We're in, in, in Genesis 31. I call this the unstoppable God. I just left that up there last week. So this week we just wrote part two. Because uh, I'm going to go back to Genesis 31. We're going to look at the whole chapter. And it's a long chapter. And man, there's a lot going on in this chapter. It, it, it's, this whole chapter is full of deceit. It's full of, of webs of deceit and lies and, and fussing. Uh, we find Jacob here. He has 12 children now. He is uh, 20 uh, years older than when he first got there. He's been serving Laban for 20 years. Um, and the only thing he got there with was a stolen birthright, uh, a bunch of burned bridges, and the promises of God. And in this chapter, we're going to see that Jacob did the work but Laban owned the resources with which he worked. So the question is, who owns what? And Jacob is trying to leave, and Laban doesn't like it. Laban is his father-in-law, both his wives' uh, father. And so it's a setup for some real controversy, and that's what we see in this chapter. But we also can see that Jacob is growing as a follower of God. We, we can't say Jesus because Jesus has not been revealed to everyone yet. Uh, it hasn't come and put on a body yet. Uh, but he is present in all of this, obviously. But, but Laban is growing as a follower of God, as someone who follows after the God of his fathers. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of that. But here's what I want you to take home with you today, just in a statement, is that God's blessing and promises are unstoppable by man. If, if God has promised it, it's going to happen. It, it is the most assured thing you have is when God says it's going to be. Now, he doesn't always tell us when it's going to be. So sometimes we go, well, he hadn't done it. Well, no, he hadn't done it yet. But he's going to because we see enough of what he has promised and done. We know we can trust him for what hasn't been done yet, such as he's coming back, right? How many of y'all remember the 70s? You kind of grew up in the 70s. You're around my age, yeah. Man, we were looking for Jesus every day back then, right? We were very keen on, on uh, that Jesus was coming back. And uh, this, what's this, 50 years later? That means we're 50 years closer <laughs> to Jesus coming back. He is going to be here uh, before you know it. Because you're going to go see him whether he comes to get you or not, right? Or get all of us at the same time. 
you're going to see him. Nobody lives forever on this earth. We all are going to die and go there. So I, I want us to look at this. And, and just in the opening verses, uh, uh, we see this command from God. In the very first verse, it says, Jacob uh, hears that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what, uh, uh, I'm sorry, and from what was our father, he has gained all his wealth. So Jacob overhears these brothers-in-law talking and they're bad-mouthing him. And what Jacob realizes through that is that the favor of Laban has changed toward Jacob. At first, he butters him up. He, you know, oh yeah, here's this daughter, that daughter. But God speaks to uh, Jacob and he says, it's time to leave. In verse 2, and Jacob saw Laban not regard him with favor as before. Verse 3, then the Lord said to him, Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. Have you noticed the pattern in the Bible that God takes the person he wants to use and he puts them in a place that may be tough, but it's a place of preparation. Right? I mean, the, the heroes of the Bible, they went to Whale University and the campus is on the backside of the desert. You know what I'm saying? Even Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before he started his ministry. That wasn't for his suffering, but that was as he was getting ready. He spent 40 days. He was tempted by Satan. He hadn't eaten for 40 days when the temptation came. So, for all of us, why do we expect that everything's always going to be, like I said, sunshine and roses? Or sunshine and... And, uh, and great days. It's not always going to be that way. But God never cheats us. Laban cheated Jacob, but God never cheated Jacob. That's all through this chapter. When Jacob would say, well, Laban did this and Laban did that, but God protected me, but God took care of me. I love that phrase, but God. It is all through the Bible. And, and that is a great motto to adopt for your life. When things are going fast, yeah, but God. Because God, what is impossible with him? Nothing. So he, he is with us in all of those things. And so many times, and, and as we think about Jacob's been there 20 years, he's been cheated. Yeah, but God is doing a work in Jacob's life to get him prepared for what's coming. To get him ready for what's next. Now, Jacob has a lot of trouble in his life for, for sure. Uh, he thinks Joseph has been killed. We, we're going to see that story as we get to the end of Genesis of how God used Joseph in Egypt to save his people. But Joseph went through suffering before that happened. And God is always at work in their lives. And God is with Jacob in verse 3. He renews that promise. The Lord said, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. And so Jacob hears from God in verse 3. He also is going to call his wives together to tell them what God is doing. And I want you to see verses 10 to 13. You may not remember, but two weeks ago we were talking about the deal he made with Laban. Like, uh, you can have all the white sheep, but just give me the ones and, and, and goats. But give me the ones that are striped or spotted or mottled, whatever. And I'll just take those. I guess those were less desirable. And, and so Jacob figures like, well, he'll never want that. Then Laban says, good idea. And then he takes all those, he agrees to it. But then he cheats Jacob by taking all the ones that were that way and taking them three days out, sends his sons away with them. So Jacob is just taking care of these solid colored ones that belong to his father-in-law. And we find that 
he, he, we read about him taking these strips off these different, these sticks off these different trees and peeling the bark and cutting into them and putting them in the water. And the sheep started, and the goats started producing the spotted, striped, mottled lambs. And we don't, it's not explained there, but it's explained in this chapter. <laughs> Look at verse 10 of this chapter, just uh, real quickly to round that out. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats had, uh, that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And the Lord said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flocks are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, the house of God, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So Jacob is telling his wives, this is why I knew what to do. This is telling us how that miracle happened in the chapter before. There is a natural explanation about the, how, how they got healthier those sticks that he used only made them healthier. And if you stop at that story, you think them seeing the funny colored sticks because he's stripping the bark, he's stripping them so they look like stripes, cutting into them. A cursory reading, you think, well, why did they look at that and then produce those kind of sheep when they were all solid colored? Well, that just shows that God knows about genetics. Right? And God shows him in a dream, I'm only sending the males that carry the right genetics to the ewes so that all they'll produce is the ones that you get to keep. It's pretty cool, huh? There's a great implication in that for you. Did you know that? Even if you don't keep sheep, and it's this. Do you know God put your genetics together exactly the way he wanted to? He knew what you would be like. He knew how tall you'd be. He knew how many hairs would be on your head and how many you'd lose through your lifetime. He knew everything about you. Remember when God called Moses and Moses, like all of us, started coming up with excuses? One of his excuses was, I don't talk so well. Moses stuttered. Stuttered in Egyptian. He stuttered in Hebrew. He stuttered in every language he spoke. And God said, wait a minute, didn't I make your tongue? We come to God and tell him about our disability, and God says, no, I've given you a distinct ability. I made you this way to show my power in you. And we let it discourage us and depress us and hold us back. We only think about what we can't do instead of what God can do in us and through us and with us. So God gave Jacob this impossible situation and appeared to him in dreams and said, don't worry about it. The ones that are going to mate with them are going to produce these kind of sheep. And so we learned scientifically those sticks had medicine in them that made the sheep healthier. That was all it was. But God was in charge of making them look the right way. And so Jacob had heard from God. And in all of these verses, he, in verse 4 it says, he calls his wives together and he starts explaining. And so Jacob is, is telling them how much that, that God has been with him and that God is uh, protecting him. And in verse 6, uh, he says, I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit me to harm him. 
Jacob never did anything back at Laban to get even with him. And so he, he just tells his wives, this is what your dad did. But the women, you go through a long passage here. And uh, we don't want to hear Jacob whine that long. But you go down to verse 16. And it says, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. These women said, we're with you. Let's go. Because we are the heirs of our father and what he's taken belongs to us because you're his son-in-law. We're his daughters. Let's gather it all up and let's leave. And that's basically what they do. He flees from Laban and it starts in verse 17. He arose, set his sons, his wives on camels, drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained. The livestock in his possession that he acquired in Padamaran to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. And Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole and there it is her household gods and by the way I didn't say this last week but what is Laban doing worshiping false gods he is a close relative to Abraham close relative to this whole family they are kin they are uh, uh, some kind of kin and I we need a scorecard to remember how they all connect but they're brothers and nephews of each other sisters and cousins and yet he's gone to follow false gods and he's not following the true God. And Jacob is. And Jacob never did him any harm. And so Rachel steals him. And in verse 20 though it says. Here's, here's where Jacob tricks Laban. Because he leaves without telling him. By not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled with all he had and crossed the Euphrates. So Laban goes off to shear his sheep. And Jacob goes let's go while he's not looking. And takes off. That He should have told him. But the Bible says he tricked him by getting away when he's not looking. And this goes all the way down to verse 35. We have a, a long description. But we see Rachel's deception. And I pulled that out and talked last week. She stole her father's gods. We're not sure why. Could be several reasons. One made her father powerless. But uh, because one thing they thought that those gods would help you discern what was going on. And they obviously didn't help Laban to know. You know, so I, Sometimes, you remember, I don't know, it's been a couple of decades ago, but I see it coming back where they would, the psychic line, I see people now, they told me so much, I called this psychic line. I'd like to call that line sometime and go, do you know who I am? No, I didn't think so, click. I mean, you know, <laughs> of course, they got caller ID now, they might be able to tell me, but, you know, it's, it's, it, it's like I said, at best, they're lying, at worst, they are real and they're demonic. And that's where Laban's living. And Jacob's trying to follow the true God. And so uh, Rachel steals the gods uh, just to maybe just to get back at her dad, make him feel powerless. I don't know. But we said last week, but I'm going to repeat it in case you didn't hear it. <laughs> I don't want to serve a God that can be stolen or sat on. Well, we see this complaint in verse 36. Uh, we'll jump down to there. Uh, Laban comes racing after them. Uh, 20 years ago, Jacob had left and had by tricking his brother. But he is tricked by his father-in-law. And Rachel steals these gods and they're on the run. And in verse 26, uh, let me back up to that. Laban says, what have you done that you tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. And of course, that's not what happened. They went willingly. That's why God told us. They said, let's go. Well, yes, we're with you. Why did you flee secretly and trick me? Have you ever noticed that someone, we could read this whole thing about Laban. He's just talking about, oh, how much he suffered by Jacob. 
Have you ever noticed that people, like, that, people that are very self-centered and only about themselves blame everybody else for what's going on? You see, people that know the Lord and are confident in God, and conf- they just accept their responsibility for what they do, and they don't try to blame everybody else for when they mess up. Did y'all know nobody in here has never not messed up, right? Do you know there's nobody in here that's not going to mess up soon again, <laughs> right? We all do that. And so we just own it and move forward. We learn from it and move forward. We, try to, we, we learn and go forward and get better. And here's Laban, oh, you did this, and he's lying. Most of what he's saying is a lie. But he wants to blame Jacob for his felt suffering. And, uh, but it's kind of interesting when Laban is on the way to catch up with Jacob. Look at verse 22. And was told Laban on the third day Jacob had fled. He took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him. Now, Jacob's only been gone three days, took Laban seven days to catch up to him. And followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Arminian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. I don't know why God warns Laban not to do this. But Laban tells Jacob God told him that and did what God told him not to do. He complains, he speaks evil to him. He does exactly what God told him not to do. Now, I don't know how Laban suffered other than Jacob does get away with his wives and with all the possessions that belong to him. But Laban had actually heard from God, and he complains and complains and complains. And so from verse 23 to 42, you have this confrontation between Laban and Jacob. And at some point, Jacob just has enough. And in verse uh, 36, um, he says, listen, Jacob became angry. Finally, Jacob says, let me tell you, 20 years I've been holding this in. You, you know what happens when you hold something in? Pressure builds, right? Yeah, when it uncorks, brother, it's, it's going to be rough. Uh, it's better just to deal with it and get it, o- get, over with it, get it over with. But Jacob became angry and berated Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? And, then, and, he's on, and he's right. He says, what is my sin that you've hotly pursued me? You have, for you have felt through all my goods what you have found of all of your household goods. Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen. They may decide between us. Said, what did you find in my tents that belonged to you? Bring it out. And he, there was nothing there. He couldn't do it. Because, well, he didn't know about Rachel. Rachel didn't tell him. She had stolen his dad, her dad's gods. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes, your female goats have never miscarried. And I've not eaten the rams of your flocks, what was torn by wild beasts. I didn't bring those to you. I took the loss. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day in the heat consumed me, the cold by night. He walked to school uphill both ways, 10 miles in the snow. <laughs> right? He's just, he's just going down the list of how rough he had it. From my hand you required it, whether stone by day or night. There in the heat of the day, the cold of the night, my sleep fled from my eyes. Twenty years I've been in your house. I served you fourteen years for two daughters, six years for your flock, and you changed my wages ten times. I'll pay you this. Nope, going to change that. I'll pay you this. Ten times he cheats him out of his, out of his money. And in verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. Man, I love that phrase. The God of my father Abraham and the fear of Isaac 
had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction, the layer of my hands, and rebuked you last night. God was on Jacob's side. You say, well, Jacob messed up too. Yeah, I can't explain that. God chose Jacob, and he blesses Jacob. That doesn't give Jacob an excuse to sin, not at all. We should never see that or read that into it. But Jacob is trying to tell him, listen, God's on my side, and you're messing up. You, you know, you might ought to listen to what God tried to tell you last night. No matter what I've done or not done, and there's nothing in the record that says Jacob did anything bad toward his father-in-law. He did treat him. He, he had learned not to be so deceitful, at least at that point. And so they make a covenant. Down in verse 43, they finally get down to where they can, they can uh, make a covenant together. And uh, so uh, in verse 43, Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all you see is mine. But what can I, he's still trying to claim all of that. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne. Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones, made a heap, and they, and they ate there by the heap. And Laban called it, I can't pronounce it. I won't try. But Jacob called it Galid. And Je- Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mitzpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we're out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although uh, no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I've set between you and me. It's a witness. And the pillar is a witness. I will not pass over this heap to you and will not pass over the heap and this pillar to me to do harm. And so they made an agreement. Okay, this is a memorial that we've made peace. If one of us mess, mess it up, God's going to see us and do it. And we won't cross this border to hurt one another, but only to bless one another. So Laban in the end gets to tell his grandkids goodbye and, and say goodbye to them. And at verse 40, uh, 44, uh, we kind of have uh, this, this last request. Let's make this covenant and make it a witness between us. So they say goodbye down in verse 55. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren, his daughters, blessed them, and he departed and returned home. So there's this huge conflict, and Rachel is lied, and Laban is lying, and Jacob, he hasn't deceived Laban, but he worked it out to his advantage uh, in, in a way without cheating him. He took care of his flocks and he, he took the losses for his, uh, Laban's losses on himself. But God's blessing is on Jacob. Jacob never has an excuse not to honor God, not to do right. It is always right to do right. It is never right to do wrong. It's always wrong to do wrong. These are kind of plain statements, aren't they? If we, if we wouldn't try to complicate that, we might be better off. So what can we take away from this? Well, first of all, take courage in the fact that God will not abandon you, nor will he cheat you. What he promised he will give. If God were like Laban, we could not be assured of our salvation, could we? We couldn't be sure our sins are forgiven if God would change our wages. 
But he said, come unto me and I will never cast you out. I will always be with you. And we can take it to the bank because God doesn't cheat us. God has said that our sins are forgiven. They're cast into the deepest sea and he puts up a sign, no fishing. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he taken our sin away from us. He died in our place on a cross that we could know God and be a part of his uh, army to overcome and to defeat his enemy and our enemy, Satan. And so we can take courage in the fact that God does not abandon us, nor will he cheat us. We can trust him no matter what the circumstances look like. Secondly, is kin to it, stand your ground on God's promises. But you got to know his promises to stand your ground. You got to know what he promised you if you're going to stand your ground. And we find his promises all through the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I say it a lot, and I'll say it again. As many as may be the promises of God in Jesus, they're yes. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, his death on the cross bought for us, paid for us all the promises that are found in Scripture. They belong to us. I told you, we don't know exactly when he may or may not fulfill them. But they all are ours and they will all be fulfilled for us. Some of us not till we die. You say, well, that's kind of not right. Well, why is that not right? They get fulfilled. Read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. It talks about all the people and all the great things they did. And then they said, but there are others who God promised them something and they never saw it here. They suffered and were tortured and they were put to death. Said because God had something better prepared for them. And they were faithful to the end. And God kept his promise to them after they were done with their struggle on earth. So stand your ground on God's promises. Stay there. And then if you've got a conflict with somebody, resolve it. I mean, life's too short to go around angry. Just, just. You know, I, I, I used to say this. I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it without being ugly about it. Go to the bank, take out a loan, build a bridge, get over it. Why do you, why you, want, to, why you want to just be fighting somebody all the time? Just let's forgive. Forgiveness is, well, unforgiveness is a poison that you drink for yourself. Forgiveness releases the power of God to work on your behalf. Because God says, you and I don't know enough of everything to make a right judgment. So let's leave the judgment to him and let go of it and say, God, you judge. That's the only thing we can do as believers. Because we owe God a lot more than anybody owes us. And God paid the price for us to be forgiven. Forgiveness takes somebody paying a price. And if you choose to be the person that says, I'm going to pay the price, I'm going to forgive and let that go, God's power is released to do what God wants to do in somebody's life. And you never know, God may get them right with him. And that's even better. You've won a friend. You've won a companion forever. And so, in the end, Jacob is able to make this Agreement with Laban. Jacob's still got some lessons to learn. We're going to, he's still got to get a broke hip here coming up real soon. He's going to still learn a few more things. But God, we can see him working in Jacob. And it ought to be encouraging to you, and it's encouraging to me, that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you. 
Lord, uh, it's a very long chapter with a lot of detail. I think you wanted us to see a lot of that detail. And uh, we, we could spend a couple of months just looking at all the things that are in this one chapter of your word. Um, but Lord, we thank you for what is in there. We thank you for what you show us there. There's, for 20 years, Jacob and Laban have had this kind of under the surface contentious thing going on. And it does seem that Laban really had a character change even at this end of his story in the scripture. But Lord, Jacob is definitely having a change. He is moving in your direction. And as he goes forward, we see him dealing with other people differently than he was before he knew you. Lord, we thank you that you take a Jacob and turn him into an Israel. You take a Simon and turn him into a Peter. You take Moses, a murderer and a stutterer, and make him a champion to deliver your people. You take Paul, a murderer and a false religion worshiper, and turn him into the mighty apostle. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what you can do in a person's life. And I pray, God, that you would help us to know you, to follow you. And when nobody looking around right now, just I want to ask the question, do you know 100% for sure if you were to die in the next moment, you would see the face of God and be happy about it? There are going to be people dying, they'll see the face of God, but it's going to be judgment. Or are you going to see the face of, your, of a father who loves you and accepts you into his presence? And if you don't know that your life is right with God, that's where we start with getting right with others. We've got to be right with God first. And if you don't know that, I'm going to end this prayer, but I'm going to hang out for a minute here. And, and this is the hardest way to do it. But if you just will approach me, I promise I'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll, we'll sit down in private. I might have to get somebody to help me, but, but we will get someone to help so that you can know this God of whom we speak. Lord, we love you. We thank you. You are a great and mighty God. And we ask that, Lord, we would walk in your way every day as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.